for yourself. Second Kings chapter 4. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season... According to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. I want to preach to you tonight on a message, part two, the birth, death, and resurrection of a dream, or you could call it what a life. The birth, death, and resurrection of a dream... Or, what a life. Let us pray. Reverend Hill, sir, please pray over our message and messenger. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Quick reminder, next Saturday is turn your clocks back an hour, so remember that for your next Sunday morning service. Also, revival starting Tuesday. Tuesday is also our potluck, so make sure you bring something good to eat, and we will share together after uh, service one of the revival. And then do all you can to reach out to your friends and family Call them, invite them, bring them to the revival. We have some revival cards. We encourage you to get them, bring, uh, hand them out, get some folks in the house of God. Let's see God do something special in our midst. Amen? Let's expect something. Pray for the services. Pray for the revival. And let's see God do something great in our midst. What a life. And her husband would hear her say that. But usually when she said it, it was mumbled under her breath. What a life. She really had nothing to complain about. She had food to eat, plenty of clothes to wear. Her purse bulged with the silver that she and her husband had worked so hard to save. The bills were paid. There was more than enough. But there was something missing. Something that money couldn't buy, something that riches couldn't solve. For as long as she remembered, she, like almost all Jewish women, wanted a son. To understand a little bit, it wasn't just the biology of a a lady getting older with the natural desire to have a child. But because the Jews had been promised the Messiah... Every young girl, once she was made aware of that, thought it her duty to bring forth a child because maybe she would be the one that would give birth to the Messiah. And so, not only did biology call for life, but even religion and even her very society called for life. And so when that life didn't come, you were disappointed, but society was disappointed And they had a tendency to look down upon the man or woman that did not, I'm sorry, the woman, not the man, 
<laughs> the woman that did not have a child. And so she, with the money and the clothes, respected well enough in the community. But yet when she would gather the water with all the other women, there always seemed to be maybe a, a sideways glance. People looking at her. What were they thinking, she thought. Were they wondering what sin that I had done that God wouldn't give me a child? Though they seemed to accept me on the outside because I had some money, it seemed like they always questioned why I didn't have a child. What a life. And soon, life dragged on. It turned into this mundane muddle, dreary days turned into wonderless weeks. And I think that most of us can relate. We've all gone through times in our life where the spark and the fire just wasn't there. Before we became a Christian, we looked for the weekend. And we thought, well, Friday would probably give us that life again. Or maybe if we got a new job. Or maybe that guy asked you out or that girl actually went out with you. But when that didn't solve what you were searching for, it just seemed like things got to be a little bit too dreary. We, like that woman, craved life. And we understand now, if you're a Christian, that that life was in Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 4 said, in him was life. And the life was the light of man. We sought something more, something fulfilling, life-giving. We cycled through the relationships, the jobs, sometimes changing geographic locations. We bought stuff to fill our homes, but it never filled our hearts. We tried to fill our accounts, and though we had so much, something was missing. I heard a story one time about a Mormon. He had become a Christian. And he was sharing his, his transformation. He said, when you were a Mormon and things became like this, just a drudgery, a daily grind, the answer was to amp it up a little bit more. Do a little bit more door knocking, a little bit more work for the church and Joseph Smith. But it was only a cover-up, something that would kind of turn the volume of life up and cover up the fact that there was something missing on the inside. And through that whole course of events, eventually somebody told him about Christianity and he became a Christian. People do that in life. They get busier not to hear the voice of God. They cover up the problem instead of treating the issue. I read where even psychiatrists were accusing their fellow psychiatrists of just medicating people instead of counseling with them and finding out what was troubling them. So instead of digging down and trying to find out why they were in pain, they just gave them a pill to cover the pain. But if your arm was broken, all they did was give you a pill so you didn't feel the broken arm. That doesn't fix the problem. Amen? So the world teaches us to drug it, forget it. Few actually ever deal with it. But to fix it, you must first identify it. You've got to understand something's missing and what you're looking for can't be found in this world alone. It's something in that spiritual realm because we're not just a body. We're not just a, a mind. We are a body, soul, and spirit. And so the body can be healthy, but when the spirit and soul aren't connected with God, we sense that missing. We sense that emptiness. We sense that something more has to be done. Now when this woman heard... That there was a prophet passing by. Just get the picture. She's been going through day after day, going through this thing. Every month comes, she realizes, I'm not pregnant again. And now she's wondering if she'll ever get pregnant. And as the days pass, she hears of this prophet, Elisha, passing by. And so she beckons him. Matter of fact, Elisha, the Bible tells us, uh, didn't even really want to go where she was. I better not. Faked you out, amen? <laughs> I can't get her to jump the second time, amen? <laughs> but when he came by, the Bible said she constrained him. 
to come in. Hey, I got some fresh baked bread, Elisha. Why don't you come on in for a little bit? And eventually, with all of her persuading, she got him to come. And when he sat down there and he fed her, she was also trying to get fed. Hey, Elisha, tell me what's been going on. And Elisha would tell her how God had done this miracle, or God was working over there, and God was working over there. And it brought some life to her dreariness. It brought some excitement to her drudgery. And so every time Elisha passed by, the Bible said she would constrain him. Hey, come on in, come on in. I got some peach preserves to go with that fresh bread. Maybe a little bit of beef or a little bit of whatever. And he would come in and he would be refreshed physically and, and he would share with her what God was doing spiritually. Now, after a while, it wasn't enough for this woman just to have Elisha stop for an hour or two in a meal. She told her husband, hey, why don't we make room? We'll renovate our house. We'll put in an addition. And so whenever the prophet comes by, he can stay with us. And then we'll get more time with him. And so they built what was called an aliyah. Matter of fact, it's very similar to what we might understand they had on the day of Pentecost, an upper room, usually a second story where they would section off uh, four walls. And, and in that place, matter of fact, uh, as you read about it, we find this woman had wealth. Uh, we know that she probably did not make it just a bare bones type thing. We read the Bible said she put a stool in there, and she put a, a table in there, uh, and she put a bed in there. But really, that same word was used for throne. She made it nice. Matter of fact, the prophet seemed to understand that. Stay with me. If you got your phones on, you can turn them off. I'm not going to turn to anything else tonight. Amen. And I'm sure that whatever we got for you tonight is more important than Facebook, Twitter, or that cute guy that might be texting you. He'll be there later on. And if he's not, that wasn't the one for you. Amen? All right. Matter of fact, it said the next time he came in, check this out. The Bible said he was laying on that bed. Maybe it was a perfect, a, a, a sort of perfect sleeper. He's laying there and said, man, this is all right. And he says to Gehazi, hey, go call that woman. And she calls him and said, you know, you've been so kind to me. You've blessed us and you've done this. What can we do for you? He thought that maybe she was like a lot of Christians. I'm going to do something for God because I can get something out of it. And they're in this transactional part of their life. But, you know, that's not why God blesses you. You know why God blesses you? Because he loves you. And you know why we should serve God? Because we love him. And we ought to come with not an expectation of getting something, my, my, uh, uh, an addition to my bank account, but we ought to come saying, God, you've just been so good to me. I just want to spend time with you. I just want to lift up my hands and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for helping me. You know, every year at school time, we have the back-to-school Sunday. Yes, we give away backpacks. What else do we do? We call the children to come down and we pray for them. We call the parents to come down and pray for them. Why? Because we understand there's danger, physical danger, mental danger, psychological danger that we're asking God to protect our children from. And Brother Hill told me, that when that shooting took place, that it wasn't long until Brother Antonio was coming afterwards to pray. Why was he coming to pray? To thank God that his daughter who was in that school wasn't hurt. Amen? Thank God. Prayer. Are you still with me? Prayer makes a difference. And what we do actually impacts the world. She made space. She made room. And when she made that room and Elisha asked, what can we do? She wasn't after anything. She said, you don't have to speak to the captain or to the king. I dwell among my own people. What she was really saying was, I got everything covered. And when she walked out, the, the prophet said to Gehazi's servant, you know, she's been good to us. What can we do? And he said, well, she doesn't have a child. And God seemed to speak to Elisha. And said, call her back and said, according to the time of life, next year you shall have a child. She thought it was impossible. 
But the next verse says at that time next year she was carrying that baby. What was it like in that household? Can you picture the baby ooing and on? And mom all of a sudden with eyes wide open and tears in her eyes saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I imagine when she used those words, what a life. There was a different tone, amen. There was a different uh, uh, accent on that phrase. Now it wasn't drudgery. Now it was incredulity. I can't believe that God's been so good to me. And that's about what it was like when I got saved. I think that's about what it was like when many of us got saved. We went through the, uh, we went from drudgery or darkness or loneliness and emptiness to coming to an altar somewhere and saying, Jesus, save me. And suddenly we were clean and we understood that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, loves me and wants a relationship with me and cares about me. And there was an interaction going on and we began to say, man, what a life. What a life. And so Elisha would pass through and now he would stay longer. And I just picture it was the same as when Pastor Davis would come by. And some of us preacher boys would get around him and start to ask him, hey, Pastor, what was it like in the Philippines? Or, hey, Pastor, tell us some of those things that took place. I was fellowshipping with Reverend Holt. We were reminiscing about Pastor Davis. And I said, listen, he was a man of God. I remember stepping outside of a church and looking up to heaven. I didn't call anybody. I just said, God, I need help. Next day, he flew in. Reverend Holt said, you know, same thing happened to me. I was going through some things, and I was praying, and God spoke to me. I said, I needed help, and God spoke to me. He's going to come in tomorrow. Pastor Davis called and said, hey, I'm, right after he had told, told him that, hey, I'm coming in tomorrow. Now, how did that happen? Because he cared. And when he prayed, he told, he told, I think it was Reverend Holt that told me this. He said, Pastor Davis told him, I got to pray to stay. I got to pray. Meaning, I got to keep praying to keep my heart right. You know, a million things can get you upset. With one of the ministers that we were talking to, their wife was talking about what happened when she got saved. She said some of the ladies were not very nice to her. They came up to her and said, oh, that hair is not real, and started pulling on her hair. Who does that? And it wasn't a wig, it was her hair. Who does that? She, over, she was at a store and she overheard them talking bad about, about her. And she walked around, they didn't know who she was, and she introduced herself. Hi, I'm sister so-and-so. And she turned around and walked out. <laughs> they were dumbfounded. Be careful what you say at the kook store, amen. Somebody might be listening to you. And I asked, I said, I mean, she went through all this stuff. There was so much that it would just knock you out. And I said, well, what made you keep going? She said, I knew God had called me. I knew God had called me. I knew God had had me here for a reason. I knew, and there was some other stuff. I mean, stuff that was just too much to believe, but I won't share it all because that's some of their business. But stuff that was just, wow. But it was because God had said, this is where you need to be. And she was going to keep on going. We've all experienced times like that. Pastor Davis, and he'd come around, he'd share things. This is what happened in the Philippines. This is what happened. I was praying when I was in this church in Springfield. Or, or this happened in, in Graham. And, and this at times where an angel appeared. And times, even this very building, miraculous buildings, lots of stuff going on. And so I can imagine as Elisha would come by and he'd stay there. He'd pour out too. And that woman just kept on feeding. Man, I can't believe this. Hey, tell me, what happened? And Elisha would say, let me tell you what happened with Elijah. One time, Elijah was down at this widow in Zarephath's house, and he had been there, and the woman's son died. And Elijah went in there, and he stretched himself upon the woman's son three times. And that boy came back to life. And you can just picture, if you're any, uh, any sort of, of spiritual Christian person, when you hear these miracles, you just drink them in. Amen? Man, that's good. It's like, man, my God, it's great. Raise the boy to life. Go, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Surely you're not sitting back there yawning. Oh, well. That's not how Christians are. Man, I got to wonder sometimes when you come to church. I understand sometimes the flesh is a little sleepy. And I understand sometimes you got to kick yourself in the backside. And I understand sometimes you got to make the flesh do what's right. But if you never have any joy and you never want to lift up those hands and there's never any praise coming out of your mouth and there's never any joy on the inside, I got a question. Do you really know who we know? Because God's been so good. Sometimes the tears when to come down, he's been so good. The joy wants to overflow, he's been so good. Well, preacher, this person did this and that person did that. You mean they're bigger than God? You mean what God did for you isn't greater than what this person did to you? Man, I'm tired of Christians whining and complaining about this one didn't treat me right and this one didn't shake my hand and this one didn't stroke me the right way and this one didn't pick me up at the time of the day I wanted to be picked up and this one didn't do this. Hey, isn't God greater than that? Shouldn't we get to the place where we say, God, you're so good. If I got to walk to church, I'm coming. God, you're so good. If I got to be there an hour early, I'm coming. God, you're so good. I'll be there in the rain, in the snow, in the sunshine. Some folks can't make it through. Some little old thing comes by. Sister said she wore the same shoes that I wore. I'm never coming back to that church. Grow up. Amen? Grow up. Love Jesus enough, you won't worry about what somebody does or doesn't do for you. Amen? Amen. So we've all experienced those times where God has drawn near to us. But if you're honest, I don't want them to draw near for a little while. I want them to make a place to live with me. Now here's the problem. As a Christian, when we say we want life and Christ comes in, it's like a baby. But you got to keep that baby alive. You don't give birth to it and lay it on the side of the road. You got you to watch over that thing. You got to feed it every week or so. Some of you are like, man, that's too much. That will cost me too much money. Once a month if that doesn't work. Heard about that old farmer. He was trying to teach his, his horse how to live without feeding him so it would be cheaper. He said he almost got it done, but then the horse died. Anyhow, think about it. You'll get it later. Times that God draws near and we sense this presence. Maybe it was a funeral. Maybe it was a hospital. Maybe it was uh, some catastrophe that took place. Maybe even in a church service. Uh, the preacher is preaching. It's as if God is talking to you. And you say, oh God, I want this. But here's what happens. If we don't, if we don't nurture and water that relationship with God, our natural heart craves to be filled. And we'll fill it with something. And the devil's very good at giving us something to fill it with. And so Facebook starts filling where once the Bible filled. And YouTube starts filling where once church services filled. And uh, TV starts filling where once uh, prayer filled. Are you still with me? And then you wonder, man, where's that life I once had? Where's that life I once had? And then you look and you say, there's no room inside me anymore. You see, if I want God to be with me, if I want that constant relationship, and here's my, been my prayer, God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to guide me. You know what's best. You know how to help the people. You know how to break through the hearts. You know how to bring the teens to an altar. You know how to re-energize the older folks. You know how to get those who are sleepy back alive again. God, I need you to do something. But for God to do something, I've got to remove some things in my life. I've got to make room. I've got to make room. What is it in your life that's non-essential? What is it that really doesn't add to your spirituality that you could remove and make room? It cost her something. It cost her husband something. He had to open up the wallet, build that room. They had to buy the bed and buy the throne and buy the, the table and buy the candles and put it off there. They had to pay for the food. It cost them something. But when Elisha came by and told her all the miracles... I think she said, oh, this is well worth it. So, 
Whenever we make room for God, you can't help but God turn around and bless you. Solomon made a thousand sacrifices. What did God do? He said, hey, you've been, you made all these sacrifices. What do you want? See, God is not going to be in your debt. God is not going to be in your debt. He is never in your debt. You can never say to God, God, you owe me. Don't be a fool. We must make time. She made a place, and God made a promise to her. That new life came, the joy, the giggles, the laughter filled the home. And space for God brings life. When you make time to listen to, to God speaking to you, when you make time for the Bible, when you listen to it on your way to work, when you take part of your lunchtime to go find a place to pray somewhere, when you get home at the end of the day and say, before I turn on anything else, let me talk to Jesus. When you say, I will go to church, no matter what it is, no matter how long it takes me, because I want to make time for God. Don't be cheap with God. Don't try to use an internet substitute. Don't give him a counterfeit worship. Don't send yourself by proxy to church. Bring your body in person to church. Time with the Lord brings fresh stirrings, fresh oil, fresh prayer, new life. Now we know what happened. I got to keep moving. When the boy got older, the father started taking him out to the field, teaching him man stuff. And it wasn't long until we find the story changes. There was birth, but now we find the boy saying, my head, my head. And the father says, take him to his mom. And they take him to the mom, and the mom lays him on her, on her lap, and it wasn't long until the boy died. Now I asked you the question last Sunday, but what do you do when your dream dies? What do you do when your vision fades? What do you do when your fire diminishes? What do you do when your energy wanes? What do you do when you look and say, you know what, I'm just not as much as I was before. You know, I think a lot of people, if their son was dead on their lap, they'd turn and they'd start getting ready for a burial. But that's not what this woman did. She took that boy in the very place that she had made for the man of God. You see, when we prepare for God, it's also a place, not only do we get life, but it's a place we can go back to to have new life. She wasn't preparing for a burial. She was preparing for a resurrection. That's why I'm excited about revival. Why, Pastor? Because sometimes when the fire has dwindled, sometimes when the vision has faded, we can go into a revival and say, God, let me come back to the very place you once gave it to me. Let me get the, a fresh stirring of the Holy Ghost. Let me get the, a new anointing, a new oil, a new calling on my life. Let me make it brighter again. Bring your your dim vision. Bring your small ember to God, the very place that you've prepared, and prepare for a resurrection. Amen. What do you do? You know, when you get something new, let me ask you a question. You buy a new piece of furniture, ladies, what do you do? You put it in your house to where when people walk in, they see it. Amen. Be honest. I was teasing a sister who was teasing me on the way into church when she first got her car. Nice vehicle. It's been many years now. Nice vehicle. Still a nice vehicle. I said, sister, why don't you just pull it up in front of the church, right in that concrete area, and set it out there like that. Because you know how it is when you first get that new vehicle. Amen. You get out of it. You take a few steps. You look back at it. Say, yeah. <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. It's nice. Like that, new piece of furniture, you put it there, smack dab in the middle. When people walk in, they see it. Maybe you got a new, a new purse. You use it as often as you can get away with. I got one, one guilty laugh everybody else is saying. Preacher, don't keep going because you're going to catch me. What do you do? Now, after a while, if you're not careful... Other new things come in. And maybe that new piece of furniture isn't the newest piece anymore, and so it slides to the side. 
And maybe that purse is now the second newest purse and it doesn't get cycled through quite as often as it once did. Maybe that new suit, instead of hanging right in the middle of your closet, is kind of pushed two or three suits to the side. And then if you're not careful, eventually, man, that new piece of furniture, which was once smack dab in your living room, is now in the guest room. And then, after a while, it goes to the garage. And then you do what doesn't make any sense to me. You put it in a storage unit, and you pay every month for something that you don't use, just so you can say it's still yours. Man, get rid of this stuff, amen? Anyhow. It's the same way what happens in our life. When Christ came in, he was first and foremost. We shouted about him. We, we bragged on him. We uh, were excited all that God has done. But just like our phone, when you unplug, it's only a matter of time before the low bat signal comes on. It's only a matter of time before it dies. you got to plug it back in. And so we have got to keep that newness in our life. What will you do when your dream fades, when your vision dies, when your church, your contact, your family member gets cold? Let's prepare for a resurrection, not a burial. Now check this out. I know that she grieved. But did you know if you read this, you won't find one time where she spoke death. When she asked the husband, hey, send me one of the servants and one of the animals I want to ride and go to the man of God. Her son was dead. She doesn't even tell her husband. Why do you want to go see him now? It's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. It's, it is well. And she gets on the animal and she's going to the man of God. The man of God sees her. And the man of God sends his servant Gehazi. Say, here comes this Shunammite. Ask her, what's going on? Is it well with you? Is it well with the son? Is it well with your husband? She turns around and says, it's well. She doesn't say death. Because she wasn't preparing for death. She doesn't talk sickness. Because she wasn't preparing for sickness. Matter of fact, even when she gets to where the prophet was and she lays hold upon his hands, she doesn't even say that he died. She said, didn't I tell you don't deceive me? And the prophet figured out what was going on. He sent Gehazi, and we know the story. Gehazi took the rod, and he went there, but Gehazi was crooked and cracked as could be, and so he didn't have anything. He laid it on the boy's uh, face. Nothing happened. But that woman, that woman stayed there. She wasn't going to settle for the servant. She wanted the man of God. And she used a word, and I don't think I told you last week, but she used a phrase. She said, as he's there holding his feet, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Now that phrase might seem familiar to you because it was the exact same phrase that Elisha had used when Elijah had told him, hey, I'm going to Gilgal. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I'm not going to leave you. He said, well, I'm going to Jordan. You stay here. He said, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I'm not going to leave you. And now, maybe it was God that gave that phrase to that woman, but she laid hold upon the man of God and said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I'm not going to leave you. And Elisha probably said, whoa, that's the very words that I used. I can't turn this woman back. And he went. You see, you have to understand something. Part of the reason that she knew, come on in, come on in, make yourself at home. Part of the reason that she knew and part of the reason that she sent for him was because she remembered what he had told her. He told her about the miracles. Let me tell you something. Almost every great revival that's taken place started when people told the story of a previous revival. And they would share, you know what happened in, in the, the West Indies? This revival took place. And as they're sharing with the church, it, it's instilling faith in them. And the church says, man, if God did it over there, he can do it here. And so this woman had faith poured into her by the prophet coming by. And now she's saying, hey, if God could raise, uh, raise that boy with Elijah, maybe God could raise my boy with Elisha. Hey, if God could ever do a revival and fill up a church before, he can do a revival and fill up our church. If God could ever resurrect a Christian and bring him back to the place of true repentance and true life with God, he can do it in your life. 
in this revival. And so he said, I can't let this woman go. She used the very phrase that I used. And he gets up and goes. I heard a man one time, he was teaching a seminary class. And he was telling the young, uh, young seminarians, there'll be a day when you go into a life support. And you'll find somebody in a coma. And they'll want you to pray. Here's what I want you to know. Speak life. Don't speak death. Speak life. Speak life. I shared with you last week, we cannot allow sickness, weakness, illness, oldness to begin to uh, consume our thoughts. We've got to speak divine health. We've got to trust God for great things. If you claim being old and decrepit and broken down, that's what you're going to get. But I read in the Word of God how that, in the, the book of Psalms, he said, I shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and that, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. We're not supposed to be some dried up leaf. We're supposed to be a tree continuing to bear fruit. So don't walk around, as I shared last week, walk around talking about this is going bad and that's going bad, and I think this is going wrong and that's going wrong. Man, you bunch of... Old folks sounding like you're 98 years old about to enter into the grave. Give that junk up. Start talking like you're a 20-year-old full of energy again. And maybe you'll get some of that energy. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, it said, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. You alive tonight? Hear about that preacher, Reverend Tuig, he was trying to get the folks motivated to give. They wanted to do some things in the church. And they were excited about it. He said, you know what? I really believe God wants to do something in our church. I don't think he wants us to be seated. I think he wants us to be walking. And the church said, let the church walk, preacher. Let the church walk. And he said, it's not enough for us to walk. God wants us not just to, to move on at a little pace. He wants us to run. But to run, we're going to have to give. And they said, well, let the church run, preacher. Let the church run. And he got a little bit more specific. He said, but we really want to do this and do that in the church. Because we don't want the church just to, to run. We want the church to fly. And if the church is going to fly, we're going to need $500 donation from every family. And the church said, let the church walk, preacher. Let the church walk. <laughs> they weren't that serious, were they? Speak it. I'm getting stronger every day. I'm a child of God. Jesus heals me and gives me strength. Remember, even Jesus had to clear the room of all the people who were crying and weeping when he went in to raise that girl from the dead. He couldn't do a miracle among all of those naysayers. Man, you ought to be careful who you sit around. I don't want to talk to a bunch of folks that say that you can't stay married. I don't want to talk to a bunch of folks that say all men are dogs. Let me not get around people that say, don't marry this kind or don't marry that kind and this won't work and that won't work. Maybe it didn't work for you because that's what you believed and that's what you accepted. I just believe that God can help me to stay married every day of my life by God's grace. And we're not finding fault. Some of you had catastrophes happen and we're not throwing a, a rubbing your nose in it. Some of it wasn't your fault. But I'm, I'm just telling you, we don't want to look around at the... Uh, at the exceptions to the rule and say, that's the rule. You can stay married. God can help you. It's not easy. We've been married over 30 years. And I'll tell you this. The first 30 years are the hardest. Amen. It gets better. There was an urgency, a great desire. You see, I don't want out of my mouth, I don't want to hinder my own miracle. I don't want to create my own obstacle. I don't want to say, I'm not sure, and I think I'm getting sick, and I don't know if I can do this. I want to say, I'm getting better. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day. I love my wife. I lay down my life for my wife. I am born to serve God and to live for him. I want to speak good things. I don't want to speak a bunch of junk. I don't want to give the devil any tools to fire back at me. 
How dumb is that? Hey, here's my Glock. Would you just shoot me a couple times? Who does that? All right, I'm almost done. Just give me five minutes. There was an urgency. And so she didn't wait. She didn't put up with just getting the servant. She wanted the prophet. And I like what happened because the Bible said the prophet got there and he closed the door. Just him and that dead body in that prepared place. Now what do you think the mom was doing? She was praying. She was praying. She was somewhere else seeking God. And why do you think he closed the door? Maybe he didn't want people to judge him about how he was going to pray. I've had this happen to me. I told him recently, I, I was praying in a, a place in California years ago when I was preaching revivals. And in that church, I was, I was just crying out to God. I just wanted God to do something. And maybe, maybe I got loud or maybe it wasn't pleasing. But there was another minister there. And he came over and he said, hey, 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 you don't have to pray like that. You don't have to be that way. And because he was above me at the time, he's gone now, but he was above me at the time, I said, okay. And I just buried my head somewhere and prayed out while he was there. But you know, later on, I went back to praying the way I know works for me. <laughs> Ain't nobody should judge your praying. Pray what works for you. And if what you're doing isn't working, change. Lift up your voice. Will you say God's not deaf? I know he's not deaf. I, I know he hears my prayer, but I need to hear from him. And sometimes my earnestness builds my faith to where I can touch God and believe him to do something. And so when you're lukewarm in your prayer and you're lukewarm in your, in your uh, talking to him, you're getting lukewarm answers. But when you say, God, I want to burn. I, I want to have a fervency. I want to have a, des a desire. I want to have an intensity. Then God seems to respond. Listen to what the Bible said. You shall find him when you seek for him him with all of your heart. Quit being some lukewarm milk toast praying dude or dudette. Get some fire in your prayer. He closed the door but I'm glad God opened the window and we got to see what happened. Remember Elijah had told Elisha and now Elisha he knows what to do. Well, he said when Elijah had said had a, a dead boy, he went and he stretched himself on the dead boy. And so Elijah, Elisha goes up there and he stretches himself on the dead boy. And maybe every servant thought, what in the world is that prophet going to do? That's why he had to close the door. But he stretched himself on that boy. He put his hands on his hands and his eyes on his eyes and his mouth on his mouth. And he began to pray. And he thought, well, Elijah said he stretched himself three times. He got up once and the Bible said he walked back and forth, to and fro. He came back and he stretched himself again. Hand to hand, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. And he prayed. And I bet he prayed with a fervency. And I bet he prayed with an unction. And I bet he prayed with a determination. And when the body started to wax warm, that's what happens when you start to pray that way. You start to get warm. You start to come alive. A fire starts to burn and he got up and the Bible said that boy sneezed seven times and he brought the boy down and said look uh, lady your son's alive again when you have had life and that life has come close to dying or it is fading it's time for you to go back to that place and pray until it comes alive again you need a resurrection he prayed, and God touched the boy. And I told you last week as I was praying about this, I said, God, let it be that way in my life. Let me have the eyes touching, let your eyes touch my eyes. I want to see what you see, and I want to turn away from things that you turn away from. I want to speak what you speak. I, wanna, I want my hands to do what you would have them to do. God, I want to be alive. I don't want to just live out my life. I want to burn out for God. I'm not trying just to finish out my days. 
Come on, who does that, Christian? God gave his all for you. Are you just going to give some half-hearted, lukewarm, occasional service for him? Isn't it time? You got back in prayer meeting, back in soul winning. Isn't it time that your Bible became precious to you again? Isn't it time we started looking to God and praying with a fervency? Don't you really, do you really think that the things of the world can give you better satisfaction than God? Can Christians continue to feed off the things of the world and not the things of God and not eventually die? Where did that girl, that mom say as she walked with her her hand on her boy? I think she used that same term again. What a life. What a life. I got just two more minutes. Two more minutes. It didn't end there. Elisha came back and Elisha told the woman, listen, there's coming a famine. You need to go and find a place to sustain yourself. And she left. And at the end of seven years, she comes back. Now, seven years later, guess who is talking to the king? Elisha's servant Gehazi. And guess what they're talking about? Gehazi happens to be telling the king about when Elisha had raised a woman's son back to life again. And I imagine the king saying, oh, come on, Gehazi. He was dead and came back to life. Really, king, it happened. And about that time, he hears a voice, oh, king, who's that? And Gehazi looks and he's astounded. His eyes pop open. King, you won't believe it. This is the woman I was just telling you about. And the king said, woman, do you mean to tell me that your son was dead and he came back to life? Can you verify the story? King, that's exactly how it happened. And the king said, man, I can't believe this. He said, what do you need? He said, I, she said, I came back to get my land. I wanted you. I had to leave because of the famine. But is there any way that I might be able to get my house and my land back? And the king sent a messenger to get, and said to the messenger, give her everything back. Not only give her her land and her house back. I want you to give her all the fruit that happened in these seven years. Give it all to her. And so what do you think this woman did? I can see her walking, getting back to her land. Getting back to her house. And where do you think she went? I think she went to that place. That room that she had made. And I can imagine her sitting there and thinking about her life. It started off in dreariness and drudgery. Didn't think I ever could have true life. But God, you gave it to me. When I invited the prophet to come by, I didn't know it was going to be a roller coaster ride. I didn't know there were going to be catastrophes and and heartache and heartbreak and times of, of weeping. But, oh, Lord, I wouldn't have known that you could raise the dead. Or, Lord, I wouldn't have known that you could provide for me after all these years. And I can imagine her saying, what a life. What a life. Hey, Christian. Are you really satisfied with just some humdrum, mediocre existence? Are you really going to live out your life just cruising on uh, lazy boy cruise control? Because when you begin to invite God to really come in, God, I yield my life to you. Revive me. Do something in me. He's He's not coming in for some little serene ride. There'll be ups and there'll be downs. There'll be times where he brings you to the place where you've got to trust him. Because he doesn't want you self-dependent, stinking of self. Thinking that your intellect and your bank account can solve all your problems. It cannot. And be careful if you get that way because he can blow on it. It'll be gone. He wants you forever to trust in him. And so he'll bring you to the top of that roller coaster and hold you there to where you go, ah! (laughs) And he'll bring you down. Enjoy the ride. And at the end of your life, you'll be able to look back and say, man, what a life. What a life, what a life, what a life. You've been so good. What about it tonight? As musicians come, heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, preacher... I'm looking for life. 
I've never had that true life. I want God to come in. Maybe you're a teenager, you've been raised in church. You said, preacher, something's resonating in my heart tonight. I want something more. Maybe it's time for you to get the Holy Ghost. Maybe it's time for you to pray. It doesn't matter. Listen, if you feel God wants you at the altar, it doesn't matter if you play an instrument. It doesn't matter if you have a job on the computer. It doesn't matter if you're sitting next to your friend. If you feel like God wants you at the altar and you need the Holy Ghost, you need to come. You need to come and get the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 20 years, 20 days. You say, I want something more. Do not allow your life to become some routine, ritualistic drudgery. But come tonight and say, God, I need salvation. Or I need uh, the Holy Ghost. Or, or I need uh, that fire of God burning in me again. Uh, God, I need something, Lord. Make it alive. Because God wants life in you if you'll come to him. Come on, these altars are open as musicians come. Seek him tonight. Come seek him tonight. Come. Come on, come on. Young and old, why don't you come to this altar? You're not doing it for anybody else. Do it for God. Come and say, God, I need you. I need you. Heal my body. Fill me with your spirit. Do something in my life. God, I want that freshness. I want that understanding. I want that forgiveness. I want the Holy Ghost. I want a fresh fire.